Welcome to Take Care. I'm your host, Syra Trejo. I'm a passionate advocate for mental and emotional health and fascinated by the power of people's stories. This podcast dives into stories across the spectrum of mental and emotional health. My goal here is to talk to experts and non-experts alike to hear the latest in the field and the stories of struggle and ultimately healing. Because when we have open conversations, the stigma changes. I hope that this podcast can help you. If you enjoy it, please remember to subscribe. Episodes drop every Monday. On this episode, we're talking about bipolar disorder. We frequently talk about anxiety and depression in a general sense on Take Care. However, it's also important to realize that there are other conditions that affect us. In an effort to continue the education component on this platform, I'll be including episodes like these that serve to better educate us about the spectrum of mental conditions. Like many other mental health disorders, there are many misconceptions as to what bipolar disorder actually is. One resource I recommend checking out to help with research into mental health conditions is NAMI, the National Association on Mental Illness. Their website, NAMI.org, has articles about various disorders with links to support systems and other information. The NAMI webpage describes bipolar disorder as a mental health disorder that causes dramatic shifts in a person's mood, energy, and ability to think clearly. People with bipolar disorder experience high and low moods, known as mania and depression, which differ from the typical ups and downs most people experience. A diagnosis of bipolar disorder will specify which type of bipolar disorder a person has, as there are four types that are recognized. Bipolar disorder affects men and women equally, and about 2.8% of the U.S. population is diagnosed with the condition, and almost 83% of those cases are classified as severe. Similar to other mental health disorders, the onset of bipolar disorder often happens in young adulthood, with the average age of onset being 25. However, it can occur in teens and more uncommonly in children. Without proper treatment, bipolar disorder can usually worsen. Finding a proper combination of psychotherapy, medications, balanced lifestyle, and early identification of symptoms can help people live well and manage the condition. And just before I introduce this episode's guest, just a warning that we do mention suicide this episode. We briefly talk about it and how it relates to my guest's story. We all know our limits, and if this is something that's challenging for you, please feel free to proceed with caution or skip this episode. My guest this week is Keaton Leakum. Keaton is a peer with a passion about making mental health a part of the normal conversation. He lives in Denver, working in IT during the day and working with a small team by night to grow the organization You Don't Fight Alone. You Don't Fight Alone has a podcast where you can hear stories of people who are successfully living with mental illness diagnoses. In addition, the organization also provides YDFA kits that include items a person can use to center themselves during moments of distress. They ship their kits for free across the U.S. You can learn more at youdon'tfightalone.org. We talked about Keaton's desire to start the organization You Don't Fight Alone, how dialectical behavior therapy helped him and how he embraced radical acceptance, as well as the importance of grounding practices during times of distress. Take a listen. When were you first aware that you were struggling with a mental disorder? When was I first aware? I think that was potentially when I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. But when did I actually end up doing something about it? And at well, 12 and 13, you parents have to be the ones who can help you do something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really start seeking any sort of treatment until I was 19. At that point, did you know exactly what it was that you were struggling with? Did you have an accurate diagnosis? Um, It was an accurate diagnosis, but I didn't know so at the time. I was diagnosed in the ICU and 
that's when I found out that my whole family has, or not my whole family, but main, almost all the males in my family have a diagnosis of bipolar. And that wasn't really talked about when you were younger? Like there wasn't a, like a, a lot of awareness there about that? So we didn't talk about it at all. Uh-huh. So we would talk about as a family, stroke, heart disease, Parkinson's, yeah. diabetes, like those run in our family. Be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Make sure you don't engage in behaviors that will increase your chance of diabetes. Make sure you don't engage in behaviors that will really negatively impact your cholesterol. Mm-hmm. But we never actually had the conversation about bipolar mm-hmm. at all until was in the ICU mm-hmm. and my dad's like oh I'm bipolar so is your brother so is your grandfather wow it's so like, it's just like a big oh. surprise <laughs> yes yeah oh my gosh and so I really connected with the story of how you had the first inklings to start you don't fight alone and so can you tell us about that when did you first start thinking about like I would like other people to have a resource too so I think I started thinking about it shortly after the experience uh, in 2009 as 19 years old, where my thought was, why isn't this talked about what what would life be like different? But the earliest records I can find for me was 2011, mm-hmm. which was two years after that experience um, when I actually started actively working on trying to create something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like two years after my first hospitalization is when I really started to try to make something happen. Mm -hmm. It would take a few more years, but that's when I started. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so just for the listeners, what exactly is you don't fight alone and how does it, how does it connect to, to your purpose? You don't fight alone as an organization working to make mental health part of the normal conversation. And we're doing that two ways. Currently we're doing that two ways currently The first is we have a podcast where people come on and share their stories. And the tagline is those of us living with successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. And the second way is we ship out what are called You Don't Fight Alone kits. And they are crisis kits to let you know you're not alone. Um, How does that connect with my story at a high level, especially at 19? I felt very isolated and... Mm -hmm wanted to talk to somebody who had a bipolar diagnosis and because of HIPAA, which HIPAA is a great law, couldn't find anyone to talk to. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so how do I figure out what works? How do I figure out what will actually make me get better? How do I figure out where to go? Um, and I couldn't find anything. So that's where a lot of these ideas came from was, well, maybe I can create that something. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can create that indicator of how are you doing, what works, what doesn't. Yeah, so an uh, organization making mental health part of the normal conversation and with podcasts and kits right now. Mm-hmm. For a lot of listeners, there's there's a lot of misconceptions about bipolar disorder, what it is, what it's not, and how do you answer that to people as a person who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Um, I think you kind of hit it on the head, like in society, at least in the US, um, it's very accepted to be like, oh, I'm so bipolar today. And I'm like, okay, so if you're just bipolar today, I don't think you're bipolar. (laughs) I I don't know. I can't diagnose, but I've had yeah, conversations of, okay, what does that mean? What do you think bipolar means? And for me, it's mood swings where I cannot control whether I'm up or down or if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being up, being uh, hypomanic or being manic, which I'm 
experienced both where it's just going a million miles an hour and your brain is tracking everything. And that's cool. Um, and mania is romanticized because you tend to get a lot done and a lot of it can be good work, but the crash is coming. Yeah. Like our bodies are not made for that level of activity for <laughs> as long as uh, mania tends to last. Mm-hmm. And is mania like people uh, lose sleep or on a heightened kind of sense um, when experiencing mania and hypomania? So I can speak to mania for me. Uh-huh. Um, my biggest indicator of mania is I've stopped sleeping. It's also mm-hmm. one of my biggest indicators of my depression hitting. But mm. but the difference there is like I stop sleeping and I don't need it when I'm manic. Like mm-hmm. I, I'll go now that I'm on meds, like if I hit mania... It'll be two to three hours a night for a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then hit a brick wall. But those during those that week or two, like, I don't need sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. And am I fine? Eh, maybe, maybe uh-huh. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's the not needing the sleep for me. And then I tend to lose weight when I'm manic because mm-hmm. I tend to stop eating because I don't think about it. Mm. Um, <laughs> or like eating very, very little. Um, so like as a healthier person in terms of my ability to deal with my reality, um, if I notice that I'm headed towards mania or hypomania, I get high protein, high co- calorie foods, um, like good protein bars or cheese and jerky and things mm-hmm. to, to have something around that I can eat that will give me enough intake mm-hmm. yeah what's it like when the mania subsides and you fall into the depression how does that kind of manifest itself it's like hitting a brick wall while falling off a cliff mm. yeah because it hurts physically it hurts um like i was saying like yeah i can maintain the week or two of two to three hours of sleep my body doesn't need it then mm-hmm. but it definitely catches up mm-hmm um so yeah like it's physically painful and your energy levels do a complete 180 where oh it's really easy to uh, be up 20 21 hours a day and then the mania falls off and i'm on the other side and it's hard to even be up three hours a day mm-hmm. now that i'm medicated like that transition is less painful and my mania is less harmful mm-hmm. <laughs> so my depression is less harmful but it is yeah, it's running into a brick wall while falling off a cliff at the same time is mm-hmm. just how, like, how it hits. Yeah, and as 30-something-year-old adults have been diagnosed now for a little over, can't do the math. Oh, 11 years. There mm-hmm. we go. Ah, a little over 11 years. Um, Like, I'm more prepared for it, but I still know it's coming. Yeah. Like, there's kind of something nice about being 19, 20, 21, not realizing like, oh yeah, no, that's going to come. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, this is cool. Mania is great. Yeah. It's still blindsided me. And I, I guess I do appreciate not being blindsided now, mm-hmm. but it is the interesting side of nope. Okay. That hit. Yep. And that hurt. Yeah. That's painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so take me back if, if you're comfortable with it. Um, oh, yeah. I'm an open book and we'll answer anything. Cool. So So take me back. So you are in the ICU um, at 19 and this is after a, you know, a very difficult, um, was it a manic episode? Was it a depressive episode? So from reconstructing, because at that time I didn't know any of those words. Of course. Yeah. um, 
but reconstructing like with my doctor and doctor in the psych ward after I was discharged from the ICU, uh, we believe I went into a manic episode and the Friday I got hospitalized fell into a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that hospitalization was um, you'd attempted suicide? Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, if it had, if there had not been an intervention, I would not be here today. So yeah, it was attempted and would have been successful. Mm-hmm. And that was a friend who, who helped you? Yeah. So a friend called me to hang out um, and I opened up to him and just said, well, I won't be there tomorrow. And he's like, what do you mean? Mm. <laughs> At first he was just thinking I was canceling on hanging out the next day. Yeah. Um, but he figured it out pretty quick and uh, got emergency responders to my house. Cause that was, that was what was needed. Mm-hmm. And you got the help that you needed um, there at the hospital, obviously for the immediate effects. And then going into long term, how did you kind of launch into into managing your your condition? Yeah, so that's something I talk about a fair amount to people in the thick of it because I got the help I needed for the immediate. Like you said, um, I got the help I needed for the immediate medical condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was four days in the ICU. And then I got the help I needed for the immediate psychiatric acute care. Mm -hmm. And that was three days in the psych ward. But then I got discharged and ended up just going into what I call episodic care. So like Mm. the only time I was getting care was when I was at, (laughs) uh, at my lowest points again. So my transition to actually being in maintenance and taking care of myself took a few more hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. It, took a uh, doctor on my last hospitalization asking very similar questions to the doctor on my fourth, but the doctor on my fourth hospitalization asked me a bunch of questions and was like, why are you here? And walked away. Mm. And I didn't see him again. And I was there for eight days. Mm. Um, But my last hospitalization, doctor's asking, you've got a great support system. You have great med management. You're in counseling why are you here? And I was like, Oh, great. This is, <laughs> I know how this goes. Yeah. Um, but then we sat down and talked and I think we talked for like two hours. And at that time identified that uh, there's this program called dialectical behavioral therapy. So DBT, mm-hmm. and maybe we can get you in there and see how that goes. And I credit DBT with being my transition to success mm-hmm. because I actually learned skills on how to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's, took me from episodic care where it's like okay like i'm (laughs) i'm at my worst point now i should try to do something about it yeah kind of like Um, a fire alarm system huh like we get the care once the fire alarm is going off and ringing and ringing and ringing (laughs) exactly the fire is already lit but at least we can get care now yeah (laughs) um and dbt is like the preventative it's osha it's hey you should have a fire extinguisher on hand <laughs> every so many feet and <laughs> don't store chemical these types of chemicals next to each other yeah and so on and so forth <laughs> yeah that no that is an accurate description yeah so that that was for me dbt was my transition to actually taking care of myself in a non-episodic way um it gave me the skills to do so um it gave me the ability to i would say be in control of <laughs> where is that like my, my moods still cycle i still occasionally go manic and depressive and mm-hmm. whatever but i've got 
skills to then work in those realities. Like mm-hmm. I can be like, okay, yeah, I'm okay, I'm manic. Um, <laughs> what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. My most recent manic episode was just before uh, Corona, and I was at a convention, and I was an exhibitor, um, and it went really, really well. But like, I got there the first night I set up, and I slept two hours, mm-hmm. and I was ready to go the next day, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh crap and you're able to recognize that you know like you, you have that body feel and know where your, yep. your mind is going wow yeah and i reached out uh i'm friends with the people who own the convention so and they know my story uh so i reached out to one of the gals there or the one of the owners and let her know what was going on and i was just like hey could you check in on me and she's like mm-hmm. yeah um my one of my board members was coming up to help me out one of the days and I reached out to her and was like, hey, can you get me those high protein snacks that mm-hmm. I talked about earlier? Like, Because <laughs> I'm going to stop eating. I know I'm going to stop eating. So <laughs> yeah. um, can we get those items? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was so, I can't think of the right word, but it was so different to like experience mania. And it didn't derail me. And yes, like at the end of that manic episode, like I did crash and it did suck and I took a day off from work. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now I'm mm-hmm. good. Like planning ahead of time, being like, okay, it's going to suck. <laughs> Something I'm thinking about is like, I don't know if it would help, but having Pedialyte, because I tend to feel really sore. So I'm like, maybe mm-hmm. that would help. Maybe my electrolytes are low because yeah. I haven't slept for, <laughs> haven't had a good night's sleep for a week or two, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I guess that was a bit rambling, but transitioning to caring for myself from episodic care i credit to dbt Mm -hmm. because it gave me the ability to actually work within my reality Mm -hmm. like it didn't change my reality it didn't expect me to change my reality i wasn't supposed to not be manic or not be depressed it's Mm -hmm. like okay yeah you're depressed yeah you're manic Mm -hmm. now what yeah And you touched on some really important points there, I think, um, in terms of healing and having the journey of of being diagnosed with a a, a mental condition or disorder is that sometimes it, I mean, it doesn't go away. You know, if you have depression, you are not going to be happy for the rest of your life, right? That's not the opposite of depression. The opposite is living. Um, And so, you know, very similarly with, with mania and the depressive episodes, the depression that comes with bipolar, you know, it's managing um, and knowing when to recognize when, um, you're going into one of those. And so I think that's really amazing that you say like, Hey, I can reach out to people say, Hey, do you have those snacks I need? Can you check in on me? Because that stuff is really important. And so who have been your biggest supporters and, um, the people you can count on to help you when you're having a hard time? The first person that comes to mind and that I want to shout out and like, I, I've talked to him a bit too, but like, there was a pastor at my church at the time when I was attending church um, that saw everything from 2009 onward because I started going there before 2009. Mm-hmm. And his name was David, and he just kept showing up and helping me do whatever was needed. Mm-hmm. Did I need a ride somewhere for treatment? Okay, he's getting me a ride. Because mm. um, during all this, I lost my license for a bit medically, so yeah. that was fun oh you like you're struggling right now and you're only working like six to eight hours do you need food and it was like "Mm, yeah Uh (laughs) Uh, but like no David like he he was there no matter what the need was to meet it 
him and I still correspond a bit. Like he moved out of state, but um, I just appreciated him and wanted to highlight that because he never assumed. And he always would ask the question, what do you need? And if I answered, he provided that need. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you need food. Okay, I can get you food. You need a ride to your next appointment. Done, we'll make it happen. You're a bit short on dollars for meds because we live in the US and that's a thing. Yeah. Okay, well, here's to make up for that. And like not enabling bad behavior, but making sure that needs were met. Because um, especially at the beginning of this journey, like I, I was just trying to figure out how to make it to the next day. Absolutely. So like <laughs> yeah. looking forward enough to be like, oh yeah, I should have food for next week. That wasn't a thing uh-huh. for a while. Yeah, and then my mom has been there a lot. Like my mom, aunt and uncle actually have all just been super supportive. My dad is now very supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like my mom, aunt and uncle, David, and like now the board members of You Don't Fight Alone, so the organization. Mm-hmm. And then I have some really good friends, uh, Jeff, James, and Michael. They, they're people that... I can text, hey, when can we hang out? And their response is, okay, we're going to hang out sometime. Versus, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Um, And I don't have to explain what's going on. I don't have to, like, because it may be, hey, I want to hang out because I'm having a bit of a rough day. Or it may be, like, I'm having one of the worst days I've had in years. Mm. But, like, they don't make me explain it. They're just like, cool. Yeah, we'll make that happen. Yeah. And I guess naming all this off, like, it in part takes a village, And I guess that's where, for me, like, you don't fight alone if I can be part of that village for somebody else, right? Because it, yeah, like, it's not alone. Like, you can't, you can't will it to happen. You can't avoid interaction. So, yeah, like, I think it's you don't fight alone because to me it's a fight and I wish it wasn't. I wish it was all unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, no. Uh, Friends, family. Um, and then a pastor when I started out and it's, yeah, I appreciated all of them because it's been hard for me to go through it, but I can't imagine being on their side where they're seeing somebody who has all the pieces fail to put the puzzle together every time. Mm. Yeah. Cause I had five hospitalizations mm-hmm. um, and had some trip ups in between there and yeah, they, they all stuck around. They all were like, okay, well maybe the next time, maybe, maybe this time's the time you get the pieces together in the right order. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a powerful image. Um, and just reminds me of, I have a mentor who, who has helped me a lot. And I remember coming to her, it was just a few months ago and I was done with everything. I was in a really, really bad state of depression and just really not having a positive outlook. Not, and my hope was really sub- subsiding. And, um, I was about to go into outpatient treatment at that point. And, um, I'm just kind of going with whatever day by day. And I come see her and she says, you know, you don't have to climb this mountain alone. You know, you don't have to do it by yourself. If you're running a marathon, there are people there in your corner with cowbells that are cheering and maybe holding up a cookie. And if you get down, like we'll pick you right up. Um, and that for me meant the world because you know those supporters those people that are there who care for you like they show up they really show up and having that kind of support system just means the world and having those cheerleaders in our corner too when things are hard 
is really amazing. So I'm glad that you have a wonderful support system who know when to show up for you um, and that you're able to reach out to them. And you put this wonderful image together, the puzzle pieces, and I kind of see those puzzle pieces as skills maybe. And so tell me some of the skills that DBT has offered you. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, DBT is a type of therapy. Tell me more about what you know from about DBT. Oh man, I should have pulled up the like four quadrants that are taught. Oh, that's okay. Uh, but whatever no, you've, I know. <laughs> you've gotten, gotten from it, because I worked yeah, in CBT um, a lot and I'm just like, I'm not shifting now shifting to something else, but um, what you have learned from DBT. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's fair. I think one of the biggest impactful takeaways for me from DBT is radical acceptance. It's a skill that sounds so easy, <laughs> but I still find myself struggling with today. But the idea is accept what's going on because you can't change the past. So it is what it is. Now what? <laughs> like, so stop focusing on, oh, I misspoke and I'm dumb or I made a mistake or whatever it is that compounds and you sit there and you judge it and you spiral out of control or I sit there and judge it and spiral out of control. Like in that meeting, I spoke up and said the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody at the company thinks I'm an idiot. When in reality, nobody at the company even realized I made a mistake. They all just translated it to the correct thing in their head, right? Mm -hmm. um, so radical acceptance has been huge for me because my distress tolerance had been low. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, oh, I said something wrong at work, spiral out of control. Uh, somebody at the supermarket cut me off and I'm never going to say anything to their face. But like in my head, I'm like, I should have said something. Like it's so rude that they... Yeah. And I'll spiral out of control. And it's like anger was never my issue there, but like my issue was uh self-judgment and self-doubt. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just and the compounding spiral of like, oh my gosh, you published something on Facebook for for the nonprofit, for you don't fight alone, uh -huh. for the organization, and it had a typo. Oh, you must might as well kill yourself. Uh -huh. uh, it's like, wait, what? Yeah. For people who are listening, who don't understand or maybe haven't experienced it, the spiral can go very quick. We have a yes. lot of thoughts that come very quick. And so catching that, like you said, like, you know, you, I, I published something with a typo, but it goes into something deeper. Oh yeah. Yeah. And radical acceptance is I published something with a typo. Okay. Now what? Oh, mm -hmm. uh, well go fix the typo. Cause thankfully Facebook allows you to edit stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> And, and and leave it there. Oh, it's okay to leave it there? Like, yes. Like, it, it, it didn't strike me, but it's like, yes, it's okay to be like, yeah, I made a mistake. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, like how I grew up was so self-critical. Um, and yeah, so it wasn't okay to leave a mistake. Like, mm -hmm. you have to self-flagellate. You must beat yourself up. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you don't actually believe that it was a mistake. And it's like, no, I... I do believe it's a mistake, but also I'm just going to say I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, radical acceptance. Um, and then uh, mindfulness is a huge thing for me, which is just being aware of the external. And again, why is it so useful? Um, it helps me when I'm starting to spiral. Mm -hmm. uh, so a story that I've shared a few times is like when I first built a kit for myself, um, got an email from HR like at 5.30 at night and HR was gone for the day. 
we have a meeting tomorrow morning. And I'm like, oh, great. And by the time I got home, it's like, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired tomorrow. Killing myself is the only choice. Yeah. But then I had my box. I was able to pull it off and it had a bunch of skills in there. But the one thing was like being mindful of surroundings. So like describing the couch that was next to me Mm -hmm. and pulling out the vanilla candle that was in the box and lighting it and just actually focusing on the flame Mm. and the smell. There were some other pieces to it, but what everything came together there again was distress tolerance. And I got to the end of the night and I was like, you know what? I might get fired tomorrow, but that'd be okay. Um, And actually seeing it work was like, oh, that worked. Like (laughs) that was... That was mindfulness. That was readily acceptance. That uh-huh. was other distress tolerance skills. It was uh, the next day it was using uh, interpersonal effectiveness. So that's one of the quadrants. Um, and I talked with the gal who's over HR and I was like, you should never send an email like that again to someone. Because mm. sending an email to somebody at the end of the day that you're meeting in the morning, is really frightening. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Thanks for letting me know. I never thought about it. And she said she'd make a change. I don't know if she did. Yeah. But like actually being productive out of my distress, being like, maybe she didn't know that it could be frightening to get an email from HR when HR is not in the building. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. Like, you know, like uh, those are the worst, like the emails, like let's talk tomorrow or something, or, or, you know, can I call you for, for a minute? It's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Um, So that's, that's great that those skills have been able to, to hold you and, and have become applicable to your life. Um, that's the best feeling to have just the skills, see them work, right? Cause we learn about the theory of them and putting them into practice. But when we're muddled, it's like, okay, well this thing, how's it going to help me? But eventually it does. Yep. Um, so that's awesome. And then something I had, um, another question was, so you have these skills, you have, um, you know, um, this journey and healing that you're going on. Where does the, uh, pharmacological, come in where does the medication come in oh absolutely um for me where it comes in is it gets me to the table um i'm on i don't know how many med combinations now Mm -hmm. have i been through and passed and around um some of them really haven't worked in terms of (laughs) accelerated issues um or yeah i was on a another med and there's a warning on the label it's one in eight thousand people develop this rash. If that happens, call your doctor immediately and stop taking it. Cause mm-hmm. it's going to kill you. It's like, okay. And I was that one in 8,000. Oh no. Um, but I'm sharing both those stories. Like I've been through so many combinations. Um, ones that the way I described it to my doctor, I was like, I think this is what meth is like. I mm. don't know what meth is like, but this feels like the descriptions. Cause like it put my mania on steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to what I said at the beginning, like it gets me to the table. And what I mean by that, it keeps me stable. I don't sleep without meds. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime around 19, when <laughs> I got my initial diagnosis, my body just decided that sleep was nah, mm-hmm. doesn't need it. <laughs> oh, like on the depressive or the manic side. And it's like a feedback loop. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm not sleeping oh, my mania is getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Which is meaning I'm sleeping less, which makes me mania. Or or on the flip side, like, oh, I'm not sleeping, making my depression worse, which means I'm sleeping less. So yeah, with my meds, which I take um, an atypical antipsychotic and uh, an anti-seizure med, mm-hmm. 
believe so yeah sarah glowing lithium because i think why not name them Mm -hmm. but where they get me to they get me to the table like they can't get me above baseline but they help me get to baseline like they help me actually exist like that sounds (laughs) sounds cliche or something but like they help me actually exist they help me get to the table i sleep because of them occasionally i hallucinate and with lithium i don't Mm -hmm. and you know what hallucinations suck uh (laughs) when you didn't want them and they're unfounded and they're just showing up they suck yeah so yeah like meds get me to the table they set my baseline they allow me to then work from there and it's been a lot of hard work and it continues to be hard work but it allows me to apply like you're talking about skills it Mm -hmm. allows me to apply the skills without the meds i couldn't apply the skills like there would be no way for me to do the work. Yeah, and for a lot of people it's a long it's a long journey finding the right med combinations, the right dosaging. Um what was that like for you? Cuz it's it's hard to go undergo side effects and and some very scary ones too when it's not the right med. It sucked. <laughs> that's yeah, like I'm it's sorry. just plain and simple. No, like that's <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for and I also don't think the doctors do. <laughs> but like it sucked. I've been on, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe 30 combinations of like, hey, will this group of meds work? Nope. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, will this group of meds work? Nope. Okay. And like I started on Seroquel, got taken off of Seroquel, but that's the one I'm on today for my main piece. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder why I got taken off. Oh, because like the side effects at that point were worse. Um, but reality, like now that I'm back on it, like I'm just at a much lower dose than I was then. Mm-hmm. But it sucks because there's no test about, like, there's no, yeah, there's no blood test to say, oh, like, this will work or won't work. Um, they're starting to do DNA test analysis. I don't know how effective or ineffective it is. Mm-hmm. But to run a panel and say, oh, this person should try these meds. But even though it sucked, I would say it's worth it. So, like, yes, how the process was, it sucked. But I would do it again. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gets me to the table it allows me to sleep which sleep is huge i I don't hallucinate and like i said hallucinating is not not fun yeah it's not where it's at (laughs) no yeah yeah the journey through medication is is a lot and um it's being able to find a combination that works maybe it works for a period of time um there's change after and before and but having something that provides that that extra bump and um helps you like you said it allows you to come to the table so you have you know these skills you have uh, the right medication you have uh, things that are helping you move forward in your life how does your foundation help you you know keep moving forward it amplifies like my ability to use my story in a positive light because people could read my story and be like oh well, that sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> But I'm glad that I'm here, so had to go through that. But like the organization, and since it is, uh, yeah, like it's a 501c3 and and an actual full-on nonprofit organization allows me to reach people and make a positive difference. But it it also helps other people reach out and make a positive difference. It also allows other people to share their story. Yeah, because there's so much to be gained from just sharing a story. I've talked with multiple, multiple tens of people who are like, well, I can't say that. I can't share that. 
And when you can't share it, when you don't talk about it, it just like festers Mm -hmm. and it may come up one day to like destroy you or break you down in a way you don't know. Yeah. Like, cause sweeping it under the rug doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like you don't fight alone. It allows, it allows me a platform to share my story, but also helps me or helps others share their story. It, provides an outlet for people to find people like them mm-hmm. we're only about 30 episodes in but continue to grow and and this is the podcast yeah. that you this is the podcast yeah, yeah 30 episodes yeah mm-hmm. that's a podcast lot <laughs> almost 30 episodes in yeah but each of those stories can provide hope to somebody because like we were talking about at the beginning for me i was like can i talk to somebody with bipolar what works for them mm-hmm no okay and so yeah like you don't fight alone we want to strive to make mental health part of the normal conversation doing that by people sharing their stories yeah because the best people to tell you about mental health are the people going through it a psychiatrist can be a cool person great person but if they don't have the diagnosis can they accurately describe what it's like to be that person mm-hmm. no <laughs> um also something i've realized um the 28 or so guests that I've interviewed, everybody's story is unique, but everybody's story has something to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where like you don't find alone comes in. And I guess my goal or my hope is that it's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And that's actually part of why it's, uh, it's not technically a foundation, but it's an organization. Ah, okay. That's in the weeds. Okay. I, don't <laughs> I really don't care. Except for the fact that like, uh, yeah, the organization signification uh, means there's public support uh-huh. um, and that we've seen people actually have donated and have wanted to donate and that's mm. been really cool you don't fight alone allows me to give people a voice and it's growing beyond me and it continues to grow beyond me and i that's my goal um i want it to continue to grow mm-hmm. it's two years old as an organization it's grown year over year if i can keep that growth up or if we can keep that growth up, that's awesome. Um, and we've got some other plans that if we come into more money that we'd love to execute on. Mm-hmm. But we also want to do a few things well instead of a lot of things poorly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, staying focused um, mm-hmm. on what we can do. Yeah. And so tell me more about those kits that um, You Don't Find Alone offers, because I looked on the website and I said, this is marvelous. Um, so... What does it include and what are these kits for? Yeah, so, because um, I think I've memorized the line, I'll just say it. But uh, a You Don't Fight Alone kit is a toolkit to be pulled out in times of distress with items to be used for distraction, mindfulness, and self-care. Mm-hmm. And what we provide is a starter kit, but it contains a coloring book, um, which is allows you to do mindful meditations, coloring pencils, so you don't have to <laughs> supply your own. Uh-huh. A smooth rock, a hard stone, like allows you to focus energy. It's a worry stone, right? A plushy toy, like just a small soft item, a candle, um, and a like a candle, like we were talking about the vanilla candle that I just was able to watch the flame and smell mm-hmm. the scent. Um, and then a you don't find alone sticker, an item to remind yourself like you're not alone. There are other people out here. Yeah. And we provide those free of charge, shipping anywhere in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And for people who aren't familiar, these are essentially grounding kits. And 
how does that, how are they used? You know, for some people it's like, oh, a plushy toy, a rock and a candle. Like what am I supposed to do with this? But where does that take us? Um, if we're having a hard time, what can these items mean to us? So what it allows is for things to be in one spot. So if you come home and you're in complete distress and want to engage in your negative behavior, whatever that negative behavior is, you might be able to think, hey, can I try this one tool? Mm-hmm. Can I try this one coping slash grounding tool? Ah, uh, it didn't work. Okay, I'm going to go do my negative behavior. Or you might think of a second, but you're not going to get to a third or anything past that. So the idea here is to be a collection of tools to remind you to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of it does come from grounding, right? Distraction, mindfulness, self-care, like, um, the smooth rock, when you're perseverating over thoughts that are negative, just being able to hold a rock in your hand and it starts out cold and it warms up and you're mm. able to feel the contours of it, you're able to focus on that rock and that allows you to be present. It allows you to get out of the past or escape the future. Like you can just be like, okay, this rock feels like this. It's cold to the touch. It's warming up. There's a crack on it. So what it's doing is breaking the breaking the worry, breaking the preservation, breaking the repetitive thought, like the smooth rock. But the smooth rock may not work. So mm-hmm. the plush, like the small plush toy, is the same concept, but a sm- soft item. Mm-hmm. And because if you can change sensation, you might be able to break that loop. You might be able to break the feedback loop in your head that, like, oh man, I'm. I'm going to get fired tomorrow. I'm going to get fired tomorrow. And that's all that plays in your head repeatedly. Like for me when I came. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, it's very loud. Like the first time I used my kit, um, which is where the basis of these items came from was, yeah, like I got that email from HR and it's, you're going to get fired tomorrow. Better kill yourself. You're going to get fired tomorrow. Better kill yourself. Yeah. On like, speed and just repetitive over 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 again and having something that you can focus on and describe so like that's the mindfulness piece of as you're feeling the stone okay there's a crevice okay there's a dip okay and like actually focus and describe it same with the soft toy same with the candle once you've lit the candle like focus and describe the flame like what is the flame doing the flame is is it uh constant and straight like is there a little bit of airflow mm-hmm. what's going on and all of these items are in part if it can bring you to the here and now that's what we want yeah that's the goal because the thing that i tend to struggle with that everybody i've talked to about these kits tends to struggle with who has wanted one and has one or has built their own we're not in the here and now we're not present we're we're freaking out about tomorrow or we're beating ourselves up over yesterday yeah and it's like neither of those are useful mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my therapist describes it as a springboard for me um i spring forwards or i spring backwards and recognizing when i'm when i'm doing that um, has been really good and and being in the present moment is one way to be able to recognize like I'm going forward or I'm going backward so uh, that's great that you offer those kits and also great that you ship them anywhere in the U.S. right and free of charge yep. yeah Correct. and so um, for you what have been some really helpful coping uh, mechanisms that you've that you use now one of the biggest ones for me and I 
got it through DVT, but the self-care of lighting a candle. So generally <laughs> when I'm, yeah, like when I am just focused on a thought repetitively, it's after uh, sun has set. So I've got a couple really nice candles and I'll just turn off all the lights, turn off all the electronics, light the nice candle, put it in the middle of my coffee table and just sit there and focus on it generally for only like five or so minutes, but it's like, okay, be here, be present, Mm -hmm. be here. Okay. Be present. What is the candle doing? Okay. I see the candle doing this. Now be here, be present. And it's, I wouldn't call it meditation because I feel like that'd be an insult to meditation, but it is like meditating where it's just, okay, be here, (laughs) be focused. Um, So yeah, the self-care of just allowing myself to turn off distractions whether that's light or other forms of electronics and just light a candle and be present and think about things of what is going on right now what am i hearing right now what do Mm -hmm. i see right now and not what do i see tomorrow what do i it's like no what's here what's now what's present and like at my office at work i have a worry stone um, but Corona, we're working from home. So yeah. I've been at my office in <laughs> Where like at home? <laughs> five months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do also have actually, yeah, I do have one. I was like, do you have one on this desk? I do as well. So yeah, like every desk I've been yeah. at, like I have a worry stone because I'll find my, like, I. it's really easy for me to beat myself up for simple mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so if I can have something as simple as, yeah, like the stone, yeah, that email missed a comma. So mm-hmm. like Don't worry about it. And then another big one for me is just self-care in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a $10 gift card to a coffee shop almost at all times on me Mm -hmm. these days because I've already spent the money. So I don't beat myself up like, oh, I can't go spend the money. Uh It's like, no, like I'm having a really rough day getting a chai latte is a treat for me. And I'm like, well, I got $10. So I'm not actually spending money. So it's... (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's something that you look forward to um exactly so yeah oh that's awesome yeah uh, developing those healthy coping skills uh means a lot because they're part of our arsenal of tools um part of the things that we use to help us get through the day and get get us through rough times i know for me i love going on long drives um in my car and listening to music or taking a really hot shower helps me at the end of the day um and so i'm glad you have your your own skills there and keaton just take me through some of the biggest insights or knowledge that you've gained as part of this journey um and where you are today now i think one of my biggest insights was people have their own stories um and one of my guests was talking about people's stories and their comment. I'm going to listen to them and tell them I understand. I'm never going to shame them for it. I'm never going to tell them to wish they didn't do it. I'm never going to make them go back in time to regret what they can't go back in time and shift or change. Hmm. And that was a huge insight for me because it's like, why am I making myself go back in time to regret what I can't change? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still doing that a lot. Or, yeah, I do, like, I do that a lot. I'm like, oh, I, I regret that. It's like, for what? Mm-hmm. Like, what? what is going to change by you regretting X, Y, Z, Keaton? Like, it's not <laughs> nothing. Oh, okay. Maybe I need to make a change in behavior going forward. Sure. But, like, sitting there regretting the past ain't going to make it. Yeah. Radical acceptance, it is what it is. Now what has been huge? 
because I think, well, yeah, that one also relates to like sitting there in the past and like, ah, whatever. It's like, no, whatever. It is what it is. Dude cut me in line for groceries. Maybe his wife is sick at home and yeah. needs groceries and it's taking me 45 seconds longer. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> or now what? Like, oh man, the guy cut me in line for groceries. He is super stressed. Maybe I can impact him in mm-hmm. a positive way. Like, help somehow yeah um yeah when i stop thinking that everything is a slight against me or everybody's thinking badly against or poorly against me it's like no okay well it is what it is now what if you feel that way now what i think a lot of it's that where it's stop living in the past it's not gonna help <laughs> the positive and negative like I've got positive in my past and I'd get stuck there. And it's like, well, yeah, you got stuck there. And today you did nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause you're like, well, that felt so nice. It's like, well, okay, but it, it's okay to remember it. And it's mm-hmm. okay to like feel happy and be happy. But like, it would lead me to not do anything. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just lead me to waste a day, which the day it may have only been, I'm going to play video games all day, but instead I just like sat and did nothing. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, and like, like you said, you know, you were struck by what that person said on, on the last podcast that you, you did where we all have a story, right? We all have something we're dealing with things. And so finding that empathy to, to understand that we all, we all face things um, in our lives every day. So that's wonderful. And Keaton, uh, where can folks find your, your uh, organization and the podcast? Our website at ydfa.org is gonna give you a jumping off point to everything but we're also on twitter and facebook with you don't fight alone and uh how often do those podcast episodes come out um they are published by weekly when we are publishing um and we publish in 10 episode seasons thanks for listening you can find me on instagram at takecare.pod and at twitter at takecare underscore pod to support take care please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review Quick disclaimer, I'm not a mental health professional, just an advocate and individual with a passion for mental and emotional health. The information and topics discussed on this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. This podcast does not attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any mental or emotional condition or disease.